welcome to the Dixie Polis Podcast. My name is Lucas. This is Neil. And I'm Travis. We're Southern men, be reconstructing the South. It's Baptist. Like it's, but I don't know if it's up y'all's alley. He goes to a church. It's called a cowboy church. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a there's a biker church not too long from where I'm. It's a, not it's too a far cowboy from church. Yeah. These folks, they dress up like cowboys and they take pride in being cowboys. And I'm like, y'all ain't no culture wall. I mean, ain't nobody around here wrangling cattle and, and uh, running them from one end of the United States to the other. Y'all is just some LARPing people who own horses, all right? I mean, they might do some rodeoing out here. And I know a couple of guys that go to rodeos, but they ain't going to church. I don't know. That's just hilarious to me, man. Like, hey, For the listeners out there, before we started recording, we were talking about it's homecoming season for the churches, which it's always hilarious to me that, you know, not to bash on my, my Baptist brothers, but a lot of a lot of folks who hate on Anglicans for our liturgical calendar don't realize how liturgical Baptists can be, which I love it. I grew up as, a, well, a huge chunk of my life was Southern Baptist. And we had, we, we, it's funny, we followed the liturgical calendar just like Anglicans and Lutherans. Like we had the, Everybody, do y'all, y'all, do y'all still do it at your church, the little Advent wreath with the candles and you light it at Christmas and all that? We do. See, that's a very Anglican and Lutheran and Catholic and Orthodox thing. And the fact that but, they're Southern Baptists, huh? But we, we are, we are extremely Reformed Baptists, like, so it, it kind of makes sense that we, we have some things closer to Anglicanism. Well, now listen. This is my. This is my. He's not just reformed. He's extremely reformed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, what I mean. Sorry, I couldn't help. Well, listen. No, no, my point. My point is, you're not so reformed that you're a douchebag wannabe Puritan who doesn't baptize babies, like a lot of like a lot of 1689ers who were like a regulated principle of worship. We don't. We don't do anything that's not. That's not that that's not commanded in the Bible in our worship. You know, we've had that conversation with the the little covenanter guy yeah. in our our Telegram group. Like, there are so many Baptists that are like that. It's like you guys are like one step away from being covenanters. If if it wasn't for your loyalty to Mark uh, David Van Drunen and Michael Horton, you would be covenanters. <laughs> you know. <laughs> So whenever I see a Southern Baptist church with with a Christian flag and an American flag, and I see uh, I see uh, uh, banners on the walls, I see stained glass windows, I see a table at the front that says "This do in remembrance of me." When I see that golden cross on the table with IHS, when I see the Advent wreath on the you know on the altar to the side with the candles on it. And I see candles at all in a Baptist church. I am like, amen, hallelujah. You guys are one skip, you know, hop, stone skip throw away. A hop, skip, and a jump. That's what I was going to say. Hallelujah. I can go to a Baptist church like that. <laughs> I, can't go to no, I can't go to no stuffy wannabe Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall 
particular Baptist church. I, I can't do that, dude. I just, I tried that before. It was lame. You know, I mean, it's like a lot of these guys, they, they crap on dispensationalists for being quote unquote Gnostic. And I have never seen anything as Gnostic as regulative principle of worship. It's like, there ain't nothing, ain't nothing on this planet ever going to, like, they don't want any sort of semblance of heaven any or any sort of like any sort of like uh beauty or anything like that it's got to be sterile and dead i mean i don't even know how they even have i don't even know how they can justify having a cross honestly at, at their churches but i digress have you guys ever seen a kingdom this is supposed Hall? to be a positive you know podcast have you, have you guys ever seen a king i know i know well, it, we'll get to that. But have you guys ever seen a Kingdom Hall? Jehovah's Witnesses? The inside. If you, yeah, and when you're on the inside, if you didn't know it was a Kingdom Hall and someone told you it was a church, what what, what denomination would you think it was? <laughs> well, like I said, I've never been on the inside, but judging from your rant, I'm assuming you, we would think it's Baptist. Particular. Particular Baptist. <laughs> I'm talking like the the um, oh I don't know what they're called now it's not called Arbka anymore because uh, all the child diddling that the, the old Tom Chantry did um oh what the heck what are they called now is it North American Reformed no it's like Georgia something Reformed Baptist I don't know they split up in all these different groups but my my point is. I don't even have a point. We're talking about homecoming of Baptist churches. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. We are inching. We're inching ever closer to, to Advent uh, in the liturgical calendar. So, I, you know, the seasons are changing. And, you know, I'm glad to see Baptists have like their uh, very, I guess you could say it's regional. It's a very regional tradition because only Southern Baptists do this. And I mean actual Southern Baptist. Like, I'm not saying Southern Baptist as a Southern Baptist convention. I'm saying Baptists in the South do this. Independent fundamentalists, free will, uh, SBC, you name it. They're all doing homecoming during this time. Which all I, right, I, now, our, our Pentecostal holiness are doing it too now. Well, I ain't talking about them weirdos. I'm talking <laughs> Well, I, I, oh, I joke. Nostalgia—that's the type of well, hang church on. I was raised. Well, hang in, on, man. I was just—I was just joking. But no, you—you you make a good point because literally everybody's doing it, except for your more liturgical churches like the Lutherans and Anglicans. Like we're not doing homecoming. Uh, <clears throat> but, but no, you're right. Pentecostals are doing it. Uh, your Baptists are doing it. Methodists are doing it. Wesleyans are doing it. Like I've seen it advertised everywhere homecoming here homecoming there homecoming everywhere so it's it's uh it's pretty uh i don't want to say funny it's like it's pretty cool actually in my opinion because like i said it's a very regional thing i don't know do do any other denominations do this in any other part of the country or is it just the south <clears throat> um i <clears throat> i'm unsure of that i hadn't uh i hadn't stuck around in the other parts of the country for too long. <laughs> I, yeah, I, yeah came, I don't blame I came, you. I came back home, you know. Well, it's funny. Like, 
I, I don't I never really understood what homecoming was. I know it's like um it's supposed to be like past members come back and visit a church or you know the past pastors who used to pastor that church they come back for like that Sunday or whatever. Like I've never understood it really. Like can y'all fill me in? Like what am I what am I missing? Explain it to our, our listeners who might not know. Okay, so the way I understand it, a homecoming is whenever like it, it, it's a gathering of uh, of the people that are associated with the church, whether they have left and joined new churches, or whether they have, um, you know, just you know, like say if they were raised in the church, for instance. If I was raised in the church and I wanted to go back and visit, you know, quote unquote, old church family, then I would attend this one service and we would all get together and eat and have a good time on the ground and listen to singing afterwards. Um, It's really just an excuse for a bunch of Southerners to uh, get together and have a good potluck and and uh, get fat. And uh, Not, not that we need yeah. any excuse for that. Well, right. I mean, that, that is that is one of the one of the southerners uh, n- uh number three the uh, third sacrament for the southerners <laughs> do y'all still call it a bazaar when people do the whole like they bring i don't remember what a bazaar is isn't that when you bring cakes and pies and you sell them to raise money for the church y'all still do they still uh, do that yeah we always call it a fall festival though <laughs> I remember I made a meme when I used to run a meme page, a Christian meme page of some sort. And I, <clears throat> I, I did no, I said, bizarre and bizarre. Another difference that could save your life. And bizarre. It was, it was, it was Tim Keller's church with a dude, the ballerinas, the dude, the dude. <laughs> and the bizarre was, you know, it was like a table with like pasta cakes. Stuff. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> So if anybody wants to make that meme and reshare it, give me credit. (laughs) 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 Mm. Oh, man. Uh, But I do. So the thing is, like, I've never been a part of any homecoming services because I have a very eclectic religious background. All Christian. But, uh, you know, raised Roman Catholic. And then don't let him lie. He was a Jovi witness. No, no, but that was definitely <laughs> part of my family. That's why I know about the kingdom hall so much. I have family that used to do that garbage, but, uh, yeah, man, I was Westland for a time. And then we went to a little Southern Baptist church that's, that has since, uh, died off. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I, I joined the military and I, I still maintain that I was a Baptist, Southern Baptist. It even says it on my dog tags. Well, it says S-O-B-A-P-T. So I, can, I guess I couldn't fit Southern Baptist on my dog tag. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I've never been part of any kind of homecoming. Uh. The more, see, that's the thing. In California, when I lived out there, they ain't doing no homecoming services out there. Heck no. That's because them people can't cook out there. Now, only the Mexicans can cook. I was about to say, that's about it, Mexicans. That's the best eating. Oh, Mexican. Well, 
they are quite diverse out there, I guess you could say. Them Koreans, boy, whew, they can cook too, man. Oh, Yen can cook, man. You remember that TV show? Came on I after Justin it. Wilson on, on public television. Yeah. Chop, 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 chop. And you take the rice and you make a, you throw it in the pan. <clears throat> I, I was all, uh, my dad always watched Emerald Lagasse. Mm. So it was a whole lot of bam, bam. Yeah, dude, I remember those days. We didn't have, uh, it's my Theo Vaughn moment right here. <laughs> we didn't have cable <laughs> growing up. Well, we had cable, but it was like, they called it basic cable, where they had like 21 channels. Well, technically, you only had 19 channels because uh, channel zero and channel one didn't come in. It was like zero was pay-per-view and one was like scramble vision porn or something. I don't remember. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but like during the day, like if I had if I had to stay home from school because I was sick, man, ain't what nothing home, bro. There was nothing on, man. You had soap operas, which my mom watched religiously, or you had The Price is Right, or you had the cooking shows. And I watched the hell out of some cooking shows, bro. I mean, Justin Wilson, Yen Can Cook, Emerald Lagasse, Dom DeLuise, like, all these different... That, that, what was that old British lady? Oh, it sounded like she had a mouthful of biscuit dough. Oh, she's hard to make that you got to fire the meat in the oven. You know what I'm talking about? You have no clue, do you? Uh-uh. No, not at all. I got to look it up now. Talk amongst yourselves while I Google it. Well, um, it actually helped us that, uh, you know, we're, we're close enough to New Orleans. We could go eat some of that food, too, so. Uh, oh, oh, here it is. Here it is. Julia Child. Come on, y'all don't remember Julia Child? I do not. <sighs> Listen, I was sheltered as a youth. <laughs> Actually was. Uh, I had oh, to learn man. a lot. Well. Um, watched a lot of war documentaries, though. I watched a lot of Andy Griffith. Oh, my gosh. I watched... I watch more Andy. I, I I watch more Andy Griffith than I'm. I'm even. I'd even care to even talk about, bro. <laughs> and even now, Man, I, I could probably. Even now, like, I love to watch it. Like my kids will turn it on. And I'm like, ooh, what episode is this? And I'm like, oh, you boys gonna love this. Woo! You know. <laughs> A couple times, you know, I don't remember the see, The thing is, I've seen it so much, and I don't even remember people's names anymore, though. Like that family, the mountain, the, the hillbillies up in the mountains that always play bluegrass. The Darlings. The Darlings, that's right. But you remember the dad? Do you remember the dad? Uh, yeah, he, um. You remember who, what he played on, what else he played on? Yes, he also was uh, the uh, Uncle Jesse in Dukes of Hazard. Just the good old boys. <laughs> I, I could uh, wait. Ernest T. Bass, you remember him? Hell yeah, that was my hero, dude. <laughs> <laughs> he, he went off and tried to join the army. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. See how many how many people came off of that show and did other shows? Let's see. There was. 
There was no, no. Uh, well, I'm talking about people who did like who made cameos. The skipper from oh. Gilligan's Island. He he played on there. He tried to get that girl. Like, he ran off with him. Was going to marry her or whatever. Ah hell. Uh, yeah, I, I can't. Uh, I can't remember his name, but um, Skipper. Well, yeah, right. Skipper on Gillig- Gilligan's Island. <laughs> Dick Dick Van Dyke's Bro. brother. Dick Van Dyke's brother was on that show on Andy Griffith's show too. Uh huh. So name? was um, uh, the guy that played Jed Clampett. Um, yeah, he was a homeless guy. Yep. Beverly Hillbillies, that was a good. Roscoe, no, I was, I'm sorry. I'm thinking about Roscoe. The guy that played Roscoe P. Coltrane. Oh, uh, James Best. Yeah, yeah, he's the one that played the homeless drifter that didn't want to work and he's trying to talk Opie into being pretty much a useless turd like him. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry Van Dyke, was, a, was he played on Andy Griffith's show for a while. He was another one. Uh, golly, man, there's so many. Uh, Don Ritter, I think, was another one. I'm terrible with names, and I'm especially terrible with names about actors. Um, like, I mean, I know them by their face and what they play in, but could not tell you their name. Yeah, I know that's why I'm coming. Not John Ritter. That gun. <laughs> John Ritter was Three's Company. Uh, who am I thinking of? We're terrible at this. <laughs> hmm. Well, y'all know, y'all know who are we thinking of. Y'all know Ron Howard, though, right? Okay. Yeah. Do you know his brother in real life, Clint Howard? He played in the Andy Griffith show, too. He did. Can you guess which? Yeah, can you guess which character he was? Uh, I cannot. <laughs> what character was he? Oh, hold on, I'm gonna pull up his name. Uh. Oh God. Come on, Neil. I, people are probably screaming at the radio right now. I think they oh, already what? turned us off. Probably. <laughs> they probably turned us off. <laughs> oh, dang it. Was the kid that rocked around the peanut butter and jelly sandwich all the time? Still know what I'm talking about, do you? The no, because kid he was probably some side character from one episode, and I've I've maxed out my my Andy Griffith knowledge right now. I haven't watched the show in probably well, five years or better. You're doing yourself great service. Well, okay, so <sighs> Wait, I actually we're, argue We're doing that... ourselves a great service by not watching? No, yes. grave disservice. So, oh, so I, I actually ha- have, a, have a fairly hot take on this, and that's Andy Griffith's show was actually the downfall of the American morality. Uh, like there was so much subversiveness within the Andy Griffith show that everybody likes to hold this up as a bastion of, oh, this is good, clean stuff. And I'm like, no, it is absolutely subversive. 
Hang on, you make a good point. And I'll tell you oh, why you make I do, a good right, point. Because I made it. I'll tell you why. The last episode my wife and I watched, Andy's girlfriend, uh, the pharmacist, uh, I don't remember her name, she runs for town camp council. And her and Andy get in this big old argument about how women can do whatever men can do, and she ought to be supporting them. And, he, and it just basically turns Andy Griffith into a meme. Because he basically, he lets it slip off. Why don't you just stay at home? And, you know, basically all the tropes about being a stay-at-home mom and all that. Oh, yeah, no, you're right. I agree with that. Compared to TV, compared to TV today, though, it's wholesome. Like, hell, MASH is wholesome. And you remember how raunchy MASH was. <laughs> Golly. I mean, the theme song is about suicide. <laughs> <laughs> They had a uh, good way of saying things without saying them. I'll give them that for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, the, I mean, really, <clears throat> the, the most wholesome shows, I think, were the Cowboy. Like Gunsmoke, The Rifleman, Bonanza. Like, I thought those were Little House in the Prairie. I thought that was pretty good, too. Michael Landon, dude. I mean,. I got a few guys that got a few hot takes on those as well. <laughs> oh, God. Was it? Yeah. <clears throat> oh, it's the J word. Oh, my gosh. Because of the bonanza. <laughs> it was, yeah, well, what do you do? And what do you do? This is what I was, this was my, this was my rant from a while back about how people always bitch about that subversive tiny percent of the world. And it's like, Whose fault is that? Are you going to sit there and, and tell me how inferior they are if they outsmarted the hell out of everybody else and took over the world? Now, it sounds to me like somebody abdicated a lot. It sounds like somebody gave up a lot. I'm not going to sit here and play the victim when you know a lot of the shit's the fault of my own ancestors. You know what I mean? Yeah, I so do. I, 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 and I, I agree with I don't, you. I just think I it's funny. Play, yeah, oh, it definitely is. It, Definitely is funny. Dang it! My headphone's so dirty I can't get it to charge. Enter. What are you doing with that thing? I don't know. Can you hear me <laughs> clicking it? Yeah, I can, but what are you doing to that thing? Make it so I'm dirty. Trying to get deer wax, dude. Oh, well, clean that joker out, man. Try. <laughs> clean out your ears while you're at it. There we go. Ah, dang it. Damn, I had it charging and it stopped. There it goes. Put that down. Anyway, I mean, what? what I mean, okay. Well, I, I don't know. TV, At some point, I don't TV, know what you do about any of it, to be honest. Well, it kind of is what it is. To keep on the theme of being positive, <laughs> what, what, besides <laughs> TV shows, besides TV shows, what, what you guys got? What you got? What you got, Travis? Um, hold on, I gotta step away for a moment. Um, <laughs> that's what he got. No, he gotta step away. Gonna, listen, we ain't gonna smell it, dude. You can say it's your computer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I gotta, I gotta go help the wife real quick. I'll be back in like two shakes of a lamb's tail. Oh, I don't even know how that. How do you? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he got, he got out of that quick. Um. Yeah. I mean, just. 
uh, well, tell uh, the folks about your your bridge, your uh, your uh, your your long Twitter thread that uh, that you posted. You don't have to read it, but I I know our listeners. Well, it's it's so weird because like we only have like what 150 followers on Twitter, but then like me personally, I've got like 1,100, and like I don't know how many listeners we have, but I know there's there's like a a divergence. Like some people listen, but they're not on Twitter. Yeah. There's like 50 people in the Telegram group, and I don't know. I don't know how many people listen, but I thought it was a wonderful, wonderful thread. <clears throat> Rehash. Well, give me a moment, cause I'll I'll go back through it. So the 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 theme of the of the Twitter thread and kind of where I'm where I was getting the idea from. Um. <clears throat> The Stephen Wolf had a um, a tweet about loving your own people, mm-hmm. and it, this got pushed back because you know obviously these people don't want white people to love their own people. They're fine with everybody else doing it. But not white people. So, and then uh, Noah. Um, oh yeah, the Noah Alvarenga from his he, from his podcast episode that he was on. That's right. So you know, it was that it was that it was kind of born out of that that whole. Um, <clears throat> That whole thing, right? That whole conversation. And, you know, we had that podcast, White is Not Enough. Um, and the, the, this was something that I left out of that podcast that I, I wanted to express. And it took me a minute to get it worded just correctly. But I, I think I will read the thread just to... Um, kind of drive this home so i'm gonna I'm start at the top i said in our episode released last night noah alvaringa was mentioned and i meant to address this point regarding a man's view of his family this thread will cover what i meant to add but didn't noah's point is that <clears throat> excuse me <laughs> noah's point was that every man's wife is the best wife in the world every man's dad and mom are the best parents in the world this translates well to my people are the best people in the world. Um, because Noah's point was everybody's people is the best people to them. Right. And so this this whole idea of supremacy, quote unquote, there's an element element of that that's always going to be present. That's a good thing. It's good and proper to say that these people are my people and they are the best people for me. So continuing the thread, modernity sees this as a rabid desire to kill everyone not of your own people. But this is no more violent than extolling your wife or parents for being the greatest. When the man praises his wife in the town square, which I'm actually pulling that from Proverbs, or honors his father and mother's wisdom, which is also pulled from Proverbs, this is a virtue, not a vice. 
And so I've traveled the same road and driveway to get home for two-thirds of my life. I know the potholes on my street so well I can drive twice the speed limit and miss all of them with my eyes closed. I don't actually do this. To me, this is the best street in the state of Mississippi. Does this cause me to want all other streets to be an exact copy of mine or to be removed? No. In the same way, I love my wife, my kids, my parents, my home, my street, my state, my people. To me, they are the best. When I moved out of state, I saw beautiful lush trees, vibrant colors during fall, and some beautiful buildings. None of those replaced my home. The people were not the same. The places were not the same. They had a beauty of their own, but not one dear to me. And, you know, uh, I moved up to North Carolina for a while. And it, beautiful. Uh, even even Charlotte with their uh, growing <laughs> number of postmodern uh, shit piles that they call art. It's still, there's a lot of beautiful places in Charlotte. But yeah. they're not beautiful <laughs> in the same way. I mean, it, to me, that's like a... A painting of something that I have this platonic, uh, uh, you know, appreciation for, but it's not my street. It's not, you know, and I'll get into that. The small things are what brought a wave of familiarity and peace when I drove home. The smell of pine sap, the accents of South Mississippi folk, the small roads, the azaleas at the end of the driveway, the river oaks that make a hedge over the roads. The point here is that familiarity does not breed contempt. Apathy does. In this age of wanderlust and greed, it's always seen as a virtue to value that which you do not have and to treat what you do have as disposable. It's an inversion of what man should be. But what if you had a heart of thanksgiving, as we are commanded and taught to have? You acknowledge the wonder and greatness of it, and that familiarity brings joy. That God has gifted you with the best that he has, and the man next to you has what is best for him. I'm reminded of a scene from Gladiator when Maximus returns home and runs his hand through the grain. Do you think he lusted after German soil then? Or do you think he had pride and love for his own fields? Is he evil for this? Or is this something we all know to be a virtue? While a pagan film about a pagan man, it speaks the truth that God put in us all. We know that this is a life of virtue, and even the pagan acknowledges it. And the tragedy of the film is seeing this taken from him by an evil emperor. So most people lament the problems with Mississippi, and I'll grant some of them and argue others. But I see the wonders of Mississippi. Yes, the summers are hot, but there's nothing better in Mississippi than a glass of tea under the magnolias made by my wife, who knows how I like it. I know my road, my drive, my people, my state. I've never met a stranger here if they were born here. To me, they are best and can be even better. And so kind of what I'm driving at here is, you know, like I mentioned, moving to North Carolina, you know, they're not, you know, they had beautiful, beautiful trees with reds and oranges. And, you know, autumn was a very colorful time. And in Mississippi, just being honest, it's not that colorful. Um, but there's a, there's a beauty to Mississippi and all the evergreens that we have. The, um, you know, a lot of the pine trees here come from, uh, the, the forestry industry. Um, but 
you know, it's it's something I've been around my whole life. Uh, and and even the first time I took a trip out of state because I had to go, I had to go to a work conference. I didn't realize how much I missed the smell of pine trees in my area. And I didn't I didn't realize it until um, I'm I'm driving home. I had the windows up the whole time. And I'm driving home. Finally get home. It's it's it was a I think a seven, eight hour drive. And I drive up in the driveway, park, <clears throat> open the door and just the wave of pine smell hits me. Oh yeah, and I, I there's a there's a a, a a visceral recognition of man, it's so good to be home, and that's not even something like I expected. To, <laughs> I mean, it's pine pine sap, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like it it doesn't sound like something that's even overly appealing, you know. And and you know all the cleanup, you know, I, I was part of a, a big part of the cleanup after Katrina, um, you know, I had to clean up a lot of pine trees cause they were, they were torn up. I didn't exactly like getting pine sap all over my clothes and hands and it takes forever for that stuff to come off. But that's what, that was the, that was the stark difference between the state I was coming from and the state I was coming back home to that brought yeah. that familiarity to me. Yeah. And, that it brought a feeling of peace, you know. I, I, I honestly, it, it, it would hurt my heart if I had to move, and I had to take another road home in the evening. And and when yeah. I was out of state for the couple of years, I was up in North Carolina. It never felt like home, ever, the entire time mm-hmm. I was up there. So that's the difference between. That's the difference between, in my mind, at least. I don't know about the technical definition but like <clears throat> that's the difference between a transplant and an expat you were living as an expat you were outside of your your native land uh there there might have been a sense of uh uh a longing an oikophilia of of where you came from and it's so strong it it pulled you back i mean hell that's what happened to me when i lived in california I, dude i i swore this place off when i left like i, I don't think i'm ever gonna go back to north carolina i was in california for Five years, I think, four and a half. And uh, <clears throat> I realized, man, like how much better my culture is, my yeah. people. Yeah. You know, and it's like, despite the little oasis, I, I lived in a bubble, like an evangelical bubble where I was at, you know, mildly conservative, not <laughs> not conservative compared to where I live by a long shot, just, but compared to the rest of California, conservative. Uh, <clears throat> but despite that, you know, it wasn't home, you know, and it's, it's, it's a similar feeling. Never my wife and I were driving back, uh, you know, we, we took a different route on the way home the last time and we were coming through the North Carolina mountains. And it's like, despite the fact that we were already, uh, you know, we came through Tennessee, I still didn't feel like I was at home despite being in the South. You know, it wasn't until we hit the Appalachian Mountains and we went to the first tunnel. I was like, like I like I like my body just like like a boulder was lifted off. I could have just stopped right then and there, probably. Dude. You yep. know, like like the everything just looked different. Like 
I know people along the line at Appalachian, uh, Appalachian Mountains, they, you know, they look at Tennessee, look at North Carolina, I think they look the same. But for me, it wasn't like that. Like driving in North Carolina, I was like, thank God I'm home, dude. Like, and I don't want to leave. My wife and I, uh, my last job I had, you know, I was flying all over the place. Matter of fact, that's when I went up to see uh, old Andrew Isker, hung out with him up there in Minnesota. And, uh, you know, you guys remember I, me talking about it potentially moving up there and it's still something like it's on the back of my mind uh but it's it's i don't know andrew definitely understands this because he's got deep roots in wasika uh where he's at and you know he he i don't think he was offended by the fact that my wife and i put off moving up there like it was it was something we were wanting to want to pursue and then we just kind of like you know I'm 10th generation North Carolinian, maybe even further. It depends. depends on which <laughs> you go back so far. Your family tree looks like a, looks like a, a waterfall. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? like, yeah. The branches all kind of. Only so much of that invest <clears throat> investigate yeah. before it kind of comes fruitless, you know? Mm-hmm. But, uh, and my dad's side, they're from up, up Pennsylvania, West Virginia, that area. But my mom's side, I've got massively deep roots here, man. And it's like, I would be forsaking, you know, so much sacrifice from my ancestors who, you know, they made it possible for me to be alive and they don't even know me or they might, you know, any, any eternity when, when I pass on, we'll reunite in the great hereafter. Uh, up yonder as they say mm. but uh but like i totally get it like when you when you left i was like why are you going back why are you going back down there in mississippi i, I mean i wasn't offended <laughs> i totally got it i was like I was like well here's my, my bro only decent friend i i no offense to any of my friends who aren't listening to this podcast because they don't <laughs> <laughs> it was like well, one of my closer friends is moving away i'm like damn you know I'll get all teary out, man. Let's get this done. <laughs> yeah. well, uh, I showed my priest the other day. I was we were out here smoking a pipe on the back porch, and my priest was here. He said, "Man, I really like that lighter you got there." I was like, "Yeah, yeah, my buddy uh, Lucas." <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah. Before we moved back to Pennsylvania, the last time we smoked out here, he gave it to me. I was like, "Yeah." So, Pennsylvania, know. you didn't lie to him, did you? No, I, didn't, I said well, before you moved back. <laughs> That's yeah, Pennsylvania. I, 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 you did say Pennsylvania. Well, hell, I might have been good for you. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they oh, fooled. <laughs> I, drank, I drank half a beer and I'm like messed up now. <clears throat> that goes Southern tier ain't even in the South, man. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think Southern, I, southern um, tier brewings in Ohio, I think. If, <clears throat> if you remember that, uh, that church we were going to, uh, in Charlotte, Here, um, yeah. there there were a few a few guys there that <clears throat> I had some very long conversations with, and you know they they were they, they thought I was they thought I was very strange, because um, I was I was talking about, and I just I just want to go home and be with my people. Like I yeah. <laughs> I was using those you know, words. All of them all of them were transplants. No, all I the know. people that were, so they that building that they got that was a Pentecostal church, yeah. And 
and there was a pro like they merged because they were they were a bunch of Baptists without a home, and Pentecostals without were out without a pastor, so they merged. Well, none of those Pentecostal people were there by the time you and I started going there. They're all gone. All the people that are there are transplants, and they're all Russian. Half of them are Russian. Yeah, good uh, portion more. Yeah. Ironically, pastor was from Dagon, Montana. He knew uh, J.D. Hall. You know, I, I mean, it was just, it was strange. It was such a strange thing to me. Like, the area that the church was at was very beautiful. Uh, it's actually technically Harrisburg, wasn't it? Or was it still Charlotte? It is Harrisburg, really, but. But, uh, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, they, they, I didn't feel at home there when I went there. Um, there was definitely like this. I don't know how to explain it. I, I, I kind of get it. I don't really get offended, but I kind of I feel like I don't want to say offended. What's the word I'm looking for? When I see people trying to live an agrarian life who aren't like familiar with the agrarian life, the lifestyle, like subsistence, sustenance farming. Subsistence farming. Housing. Subsistence farming. Yeah. Like, you know, there's a couple people in the church that did that stuff. And I'm like, why? Like, you got a lot of money. Like, like I can't, like, it's so ironic, right? That, like, you you, you almost have to have money to be a subsistence farmer now. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what the hell? Like, you even call it subsistence farming anymore because it's, it's cheaper to just go to the damn grocery store, you know? Uh, it's like cornbread like, used to be a poor man's dinner. Uh, poor man's yeah. dinner. <laughs> yeah, right. And like, I know all these people that are like paying. They pay more for uh, chicken feed than you know I do on groceries. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. what the yeah. hell? <laughs> like, but, but like, how yeah, we're living the rough life, you know, out here in suburbia, freaking raise our own chickens. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> Your house is like you got. Yeah, three story house and a, and a guest house for your your mom, and you're roughing it, bro. Like totally. Hey, bro. <laughs> this is that. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, <sighs> it's good to be home, and I'm glad all three of us like we're able to talk about like talk about this stuff because we all have different uh, backgrounds. We come from different places, and. Uh, I'm wondering if Travis got swatted just now or something. What the heck's going on? <laughs> Either got I'm swatted or waiting for a gap. <laughs> it, it, his wife had some extra honeydews to do. Come <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on, man. We got to take damn trash out. Tomorrow Sunday, I mean, man, not Monday. Kind of the whole, but kind of the whole sentiment you were getting that 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 really is why churches have homecomings is because yeah. you know if you move away. Oh, now you got an excuse to come visit. You know, you're it's literally it you're around, coming dude. home. Do what? What a way to bring it all back around home. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking of food right now. I kind of miss that old lady's chicken and dumplings. <laughs> oh man, this is why I love it. Whenever our church, anytime we have confirmation service at our church. It's a big deal. Like we have, we have a picnic. Uh, if it's you know, if it's spring, summertime, we have picnics. Wintertime, it's all indoor potluck or whatever. And uh, 
yeah, man, it's always good eating. Oh, always fried chicken and stuff like that. I'm like, and the funny thing is, a lot of the people at my church, I know I'm from Anglican, uh, a lot of these folks, they're not, um, they're not transplants, which is the funny thing, you know. Uh, several of our members were, uh, they used to go to the old Episcopal church until it had a gay bishop and then they, they bolted. Very smart of them. Uh, other people, you know, born and raised in the South. You know, we uh, it's a small, tiny church. You know, we're we're trying to we're trying to grow, trying to be liturgical, uh, trying to harken back to two thousand year, you know, tradition, and it's just nice. Uh, but maybe we maybe we could start having homecoming. I don't know. I didn't talk to my priest about that. The vestry. I mean, our church is still. Still somewhat new. Sorry, there's raccoons fighting in the trees right here beside me. <laughs> what the hell is all that rustling? I heard the, the screeching. Oh, okay. uh, but, uh, One of the yeah, things I've always noticed is the more funeral a church has, the uh, the, the the more their, their potlucks become downgraded. That's a very sad truth. No, yeah. that's a very sad truth. And old, them old folks, man. That's what I miss about my family reunions, bro. Uh, you want to talk? That's like the king of potlucks, right? Was family reunion. Mm. I mean, holy hell, covered dish after covered dish. I mean, and enough sun drops to turn, you know, Wilford Brimley into a, a blob of sugar, you know, like, <clears throat> um, and sweet tea. I'm sorry, sun drop sweet tea. But, uh, but man, I miss family reunions. And the thing I mean, is, the my mom. Thing is, all these young yeah. women don't don't know how to cook. All they can do is eat hot chips and lie. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Hey, what we, is up, dude? What's up with women today, bro? What we started doing a uh, we started doing a family dinner every couple weeks. So it's it's me, my sister, her her husband, kids, and uh, my mom and my dad, um, and just like being consistent with it. That's that was our goal, and it's nothing like you know we're not expecting anything, you know, fantastic. You don't have to come with a with a huge dish, although nobody will be mad if you come if you if you give one, you know. Um, yeah. But uh. Yeah, I mean, just just having that as a we we fell out of it for a long time, you know. My 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 papa died. That ended up just because he 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 was the center of the family as far as that re, that regard went. Um, yeah, you know, him and Mama kind of kept that that tradition going until you know they both passed on, and then it just well, it fell off. Uh, yeah, so we're we're rebuilding that, you know. Rebuilding. See, that's the thing. I'm trying to, I'm trying to like hammer into my own parents' head. My parents are in the early sixties, and, and you'd think they were a hundred years old by the way they act. Uh, my grandfather died from lung cancer. He, for as long as I was alive, he had asthma and emphysema, really bad, heavy smoker. Uh, he quit for like the last half of my life, I guess you could say, up until he died, uh, <clears throat> ten years or so. But uh, the family reunions always centered around the 
patriarch of our mm-hmm. families, rather. Um, my grandfather and his brother and sister, sisters, I should say. Uh, that's who the family reunion centered around. Their kids and their grandkids and great grandkids. And now that my grandfather, you know, he, when he passed, when he died, when my grandfather died, we still tried to have family reunion. My grandmother and grandfather were divorced. So uh, after he died, he was the last one to die. Well, my aunt Dot died and after he did. But, uh, yeah, we just stopped having family reunions. And I, all I do, all I hear from my mom and her sisters is this complaint about like, oh, family needs to stick together. We don't do things like we used to do. It's like, listen. I have more ants than you can take a stick at. <laughs> nah, but I have way too many. There's way too many uh, people, I guess you could say now, because all of my aunts, or several, we'll say more than five, all of them had kids, and those kids have kids, and then some of those kids even have kids. Um, I have an aunt who's a great-grandmother. You know what I mean? And she's like not even 70 yet. <laughs> she's not even 70. She's a great grandmother. Um, it's way too big now. And uh, like I was trying to explain to my mom, it's like, listen, you've got your own children and grandchildren now. Don't you think it's about time we should start making our own little tiny family reunion? Like maybe my dad and his brother get together sisters and you know maybe but like most definitely us though like my my mom and dad be the 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 patriarch and matriarch and we we come around them my my kids and my my, uh, siblings kids and we come around and have a a reunion of that sort you know what i mean i mean that's really what a homecoming is too right it's it's a reunion that's right that's why you know that's why i kind of relate the two uh and, you know, it used to be, too, man, like religion was heavily intertwined at family reunions. My dad either prayed or my grandfather prayed or my uncle prayed or my grandfather's brother, I should say. Like there was prayer <laughs> and there was talk of faith. And, you know, you weren't scared to talk about Jesus. The last time we got together, with my, my weird ass cousins and stuff like, you know, wearing the gay pride lapel or pin on his lapel and stuff like that ain't gonna happen now. Like my cousins and their kids are so far gone. Like that's not a reunion I want to have anymore. Like we're on such different planes of belief and existence. Like we can't do that. It's stupid. <laughs> you know what I mean? I try to explain this to my parents. Like the reunion now is with you and your kids. Like we need to be focusing on us now, you know, and as my kids get older and then they have kids, then, then what, we used to have we'll have again except my parents will be who you know are at the center of the reunion now that makes sense yeah we're we're kind of doing something similar i mean i i was the big push you know my i I was the big uh instigator in this in this regard for um us getting together but you know my my dad my dad was on board and uh for christmas usually my my brother lives out of state. He usually comes down, and that's when we have, you know, everybody in the family together. You know, so it's all the cousins and, um, 
you know, family members from out of state are here as well. So yeah. that's, <clears throat> but yeah, that's, um, like I said, I'm trying to, my, my big push is making sure that that, that happens and that we're, we're keeping track of our own, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's been, uh, we, we've, we've neglected that. So, uh, my, my push for my family was let's get back on this. Let's rebuild this because we were doing this and now we stopped. So let's get back to it. Let's, let's do what we know we ought to have done to begin with. And, uh, it, it's been received really well. Um, and uh, that's, you know, I, I could opine about that, but I kind of hush at this point. Well, one of the problems is, is uh, so my, my immediate family gets together. It's called my immediate family. It's my sister, my other sister, dad, and all the kids. We, we all get together quite regular. But all my cousins, like, none of them. I've got two aunts still left alive out of nine siblings. And, uh. And I don't know half my cousins anymore because they don't ever come around, you know. So it's kind of hard to get together with family. But at the same time, I mean, you got to make your own traditions, right? Exactly. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what you know my my little project with my family is is basically just making our own traditions. Um, as the saying goes, it is what it is. <laughs> Yeah. So. <clears throat> mm -mm -mm. But my um, I don't know if we want to keep this in here or not, but I, I'll go ahead because this is supposed to be a positive, right? So we um, my wife and I went on a date today. It was the first date we had in a long, long time. I'm talking about years, probably six years. Um, there was a. Uh, a wonderful lady at the church who watched our kids and everything. And, um, you know, there's a, you, everybody here, of course, knows the joke about the Southern goodbye where, you know, it, it takes you about four hours to inch from the living room to the, to the car. It's <laughs> a Midwestern <laughs> thing too, apparently. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it was kind of like that, you know, we went back to go pick up our kids and, you know, we sat down and you know, had a glass of tea and talked and chit chat. Kids ran around the yard and, um, you know, and then it was just a slow, you know, my wife brought out the, the drawing tablet and started drawing or whatever. And, you know, we were just talking the whole time and it didn't have to be about any particular thing. It was just whatever came to mind. Um, and it's just been the first you know, aside from the, the the family dinners, you know, this has been the first really relaxing Saturday we've had in a long time. Um, you know, we bumped into a few people along the way, and you know, we went we went to go eat, and you know, the people at the store, of course, they're from around town. Cruising the coast is happening right now, so it's a lot of traffic, comparatively yeah. speaking. Yeah. Um. But. You know, you 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 can tell who's from your neck of the woods and who's not, and um, it's it kind of going along with what my post was. You know, I 
you can talk to somebody at the cash register or when you go pick up your food or, you know, whatever else. And there's a, a recognition of, of who they are. And there's a, a connection without even having to say anything really, except for, you know, Hey, how you doing? Or, you know, however else the greeting goes. And they just know who you are in some respect because you're, you're from the same area. And on a, on a technical sense, I mean, this, this cuts out a lot of the questions you would ask on how should I act in this given moment or, you know, what should I do in any given moment? And that's a, um, you know, if you want to look at it from a sociological perspective, that, that's, that would be the, the thing that you would look at, but, just looking at it from the perspective of familiarity and a, and a piece that comes with knowing these people without really having to say too much. Um, I mentioned on the White is Not Enough podcast, you know, I, I can go up to a, a, a black feller from, from South Mississippi and I can just say Yankees and chuckle and he knows what I mean. Yeah. Um, I could do that in North Carolina as well, and they know what I mean. Um, but it, it's it's that kind of thing. I don't really have to explain a whole ton. <laughs> you know, I can just I can just talk, and and there's a there's an openness there where you lose a lot of the clum, clumsiness that can happen when you have to rewrite the norms of interaction. You know. Yeah, and there's a there's a beauty and a peace that comes with that that you know God intended for us to have that, and we've we've done a great disservice to ourselves by removing ourselves from that, um, and trying to get it, it, it's a few years back I I I stopped focusing on national politics. Yeah, I, I almost don't even talk about it anymore. You know. And I, I was asked a few times, like on Gab and even in person, you know, why, why don't you ever talk about this, what they're doing? And, <clears throat> well, number one, I do talk about it, but number two, I, I'm more worried about what's happening in my hometown. Yeah. You know, it, it's, <clears throat> it's hard to buy. It's hard to buy a house right now. And yeah. I'm not the only one fighting that. Property taxes doubled, and but, you know that that's not even a Biden thing. Yeah, you know that's well, that's, that's very a, local. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, you're, that's, you're, I'm sure your state did exactly what my state did. Every damn county uh, did a revaluation of real property at the height of inflation, artificially high inflate or, or uh, I'm sorry. Artificially high-value homes. These asshole local governments revalued them for tax purposes and then raised yeah. our freaking taxes. And because of that, because of the value of my home per taxes, guess what happened to my insurance? It went Spikes. up as well. Yeah. It spiked. Doubled even. Which is bullshit, man. That's bullshit. That's my... That's my local government that did that. That's not Biden. That's it's for asshole 
quote unquote supposedly conservative county commissioners that we have. They're the assholes that did that. That I have. But right. be and, that and, as it may. <laughs> you know, yeah, but but I mean my my point is, you know, my point here is that my my focus isn't on national politics anymore. Like I, yeah. I, I know they're doing a bunch of crappy things up in Washington. Uh you know, quite frankly, what else is new? Yeah. Um the swamp for it, a reason, is what they call it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not like they were ever honest. Yeah. You know, at least not you know, you really want to get get into it. This ain't me being a southern sycophant, although I am. You know, it's <laughs> it's been that way since the Civil War, man. Like <laughs> Like what? Yeah. What? Well, why? Why do you think they're going to be any different now? Yeah. You know, and you you think the Republicans like you? <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like on your point here, you know, you started out, you started this off with with uh, uh, the Southern goodbye, and I, I mentioned Midwesterners. I just I just read the other day, and uh, I'm reading Claude Wilson's book. Well, he edited it, but it's a it's a book called uh, Understanding the uh, the War Between the states <clears throat> and um i didn't know this and i, I still I, I might need to verify it i mean i trust claude wilson as a historian but he does say some things in there kind of i'm like eh, I, don't know. I mean he'll skip but he's he, <laughs> talking about the importance of the revolutionary war in the south he totally skipped my hometown and didn't even talk about the battle of Alamant. so i don't know how much he knows about the revolutionary war in the south he totally skipped that important uh, those important instances but uh I digress on that, but the point he made was that the vast majority of settlers in the Midwest uh, in America did not come directly from the north. It's not like they hopped on a boat from Scandinavia or Europe or, or Great Britain or whatever, hit Ellis Island and went straight to the Midwest. What they actually did is they settled in the south and uh, were largely agrarian, and when ex when people started to expand more and pioneer, they left and he talked about North Carolina a great deal on it in this book uh, on this point about how families decided, you know what, we're, we need property for our kids, you know, I, like, because, uh, <clears throat> we started to, to abandon the tradition of primogeniture, uh, in America, right. You know, primogeniture is when you give your property to your eldest son. Well, in America, yep. there was so much property available. It was the, the custom became, all right, we're going to expand westward and whatever property we claim, that's what we're going to give to our, our children. And a lot of Southerners actually migrated to the Midwest, believe it or not, and settled there. And that makes me wonder, like, because, I mean, me and Andrew, you know, last time I hung out with him, the only time I hung out with him up there, we talked about a lot of our similarities. And, you know, as part of his pitch for, you know, trying to talk me into moving up there, which I totally, you know, I was flattered by that. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, if I moved up there, I, in a sense, I would feel at home because the hospitality in that town and those people, man, it was like it, it was strangely it felt like uh, it felt like home with funny accent. <laughs> don't you know <laughs> come here once but uh not, not, those people up there are precious to me i, I mean if, if i ever had to move somewhere i would move up there i would move or 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 uh uh pella iowa like i'd i'd move up there you know uh those people are very much 
rural. So that's the thing. Is I remember on Twitter there was a little spat between some people about, oh, you dumb Southerners think you own rural culture, and it's like, well, actually, yeah, we we do because all the 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 rural culture that's has gone as far west as as uh, Idaho. Guess where those people came from? They didn't come from New York City. They didn't come from Boston. They didn't come from freaking Maine. They came from the South. Right. Well, according to Clyde Wilson, that, that is. And I can see that the, the agrarian mindset is alive and well. Uh, the small town, like people wanting to have uh, towns made to human scale, uh, that's a very southern thing, right? In the north, mm-hmm. it was so industrial they wanted their they, they they couldn't make their cities big enough, and they were disgusting. Sewage in the streets, nasty ass water. Whereas mm-hmm. in the south, our our towns are made to human scale, proportionate, you know. To the to the needs of, of uh, human safety and and uh, peace and civility, you didn't have you didn't have freaking Queens, New York. You had Mayberry, you know, not to not to bring any Griffith show back over here, but we had. Oh, that's how most that's how most of the towns were around here. They were small towns, one horse towns. You had you lucky if you had a stoplight. And now all of a sudden, you know, after Reconstruction, they urbanized the ever living hell out of our state. Everything. Yeah, I mean, so you get you go to the urban centers in the south, and they're just as shitty as they are in the north. It's almost like being in the north. I mean, there's no difference. There's very little difference between Dallas, Texas, and Chicago, Illinois. And I know Texans are going to get pissed about that. I don't care. Urban areas. It's just true. It's it's trash. Charlotte, trash. Greensboro, trash. Raleigh, trash. Atlanta, trash. You give me a, an urban town in the south that's not trash, you let me know if you find them. Rant over. There's your rant. <laughs> well, well, well I, I, just just real quick, uh, the I'm reading um, uh, <laughs> I'm reading um, well, hell, what is that book? Um <clears throat> Don't even know the damn top. I know, right? Must be a good uh, gra- book. Gra- Grapes of Wrath. <laughs> so I'm reading Grapes of Color. Wrath. Color. Um, and you know, one of the big. It's got me thinking. I, I commented on this the other day. Um, there was something. There was a point in the book where he kind of he kind of inferenced that basically everything got turned into New York, right? Every state got turned into New York post post Civil War. Yeah. Um, the 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 ethos of New York City became the ethos of the the entire United States. And so the story in Grapes of Wrath is this family going from their their little you know their little small town and now they're having to move out to California cuz that's the only you know that's the, that's the that's the place where they got lots of work right yeah. and you know they they end up the entire stretch of the road you know they're getting shafted by just about everybody out there um you know it it kind of reminded me um they they had to they had to pay 
they had to pay money to go camping, right? Because they're they're <laughs> having to stop somewhere for the night because they still got days left on their travel. And when they stop, then and then this, I, I won't recount it all, but yeah, it, it that what, what you're saying, you know, the urban centers across the United States, it they're their main format is New York City. And that, yeah. that's been proliferated throughout the entire United States. Sorry, go ahead. Chad. Oh, I don't even remember what I was going <laughs> to say now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was uh, bringing it back whenever you were talking about Southerners moving in West. Manifest Destiny really is the Southerners' inheritance. Like, all of the Western United States belongs to us. And and so, um, you know, this is completely aside, but when when the South does form its own nation, um, it, it, it is in our God-given right to reconquer the West and uh, to drive out the Californians and all the, and all the other trash that comes with it, but <laughs> well, we'll leave the CJs. The CJs can stay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the CJs can stay. Yeah, we love <laughs> CJs. Being such an admirer of the South. Hey, you know what? This, you know, <clears throat> another good point. Y'all being Baptist. <clears throat> that makes me think about uh, J.D. Greer's push to rename the Southern Baptist Convention to the Great Commission Baptist. Uh, like, you know what? How about this? Is gonna, this drives me nuts. Southern Baptists need to just regroup, pull their money out of the stupid missions, whatever the dumb fund is that that they put pour their money into, like idiots, and 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 and, and uh, pull their resources and maintain Southern Baptist culture as Southern Baptists in the South. I, I I never understood this rationale that the Southern Baptist Convention should be this national this national thing. Like, because obviously what's happened is the Southern Baptists have been overrun by these people that have a very Yankee mindset. Not Northern, Yankee, which is much worse. But, like, why the hell aren't, like, Southern Baptists or Baptists in the South have a culture that is diametrically opposed to, say, Baptists in Southern California or Baptists in... New York City, like that one weirdo that's I don't remember his name, the dude on on Twitter who's like Andy uh something Andy other Woodward. Oh. Andy Woodward. Isn't he Southern Baptist? Um I thought he was Presbyterian, but he might be Southern Baptist here. Oh, I, I couldn't tell. <laughs> I know he's a killer, right? But to answer your question, the reason the Southern Baptist are no longer simply southern. Um, hold on, I'm trying, I'm trying to type type and talk. The thing about how um, dumb that is, right? It's like North Carolina Baptists expanding out to them Tennessee and Virginia and expecting, oh, we should still be called North Carolina Baptists. It's like, does he have me blocked? Probably. I think he's got me blocked. 
Keep locked. But, but, but to answer your question, the reason the Southern Baptists <laughs> expanded out of the South was because the Northern Baptists or the American Baptists went liberal so that so then the Southern Baptists sent missionaries to these Yankee, um, these Yankee hellscapes to plant churches. And, but the problem is, is whenever you go to these places, they infect you to your very core. And, and you can no longer remain the bastion of conservatism you are. I don't know, mm-hmm. man. I, I, I think they can. I think we as Baptists can do a lot better. Well, I'll, yeah. I, I I don't this think is this why, has, this is why we, we let them infect us is what we do. We we so this we is why I don't give up. Oh, go ahead. No, I'm just we just right. give up, man. Like we. This oh, is why I don't like. I don't like the idea of non-regional diocese and Anglican Church. Like we have the, the the churches uh, for the sake of others, the C4SO diocese, which is like all over the place, literally. Like I'm in the diocese of the Carolinas. Uh, Sound kind of gay to be has, honest. Huh? Sound kind of gay to be honest. What? The C four S O. The the diocese for others. Yeah. The churches, What's that even mean? Churches, churches for the sake of others. They're a liberal contingent within the ACNA that just needs to get the hell out. Like they're basically warmed over, uh, warmed over Episcopal Church. I don't even know why. I don't even know why they they're given any quarter. Like there's nothing about them that's true to the Anglican tradition, but here we are. You know, I think that the I think the truest um the truest expression of Anglicanism is the Reformed Episcopal Church. In my opinion. Uh <clears throat> I'm we're not my church isn't in the RSD unfortunately. Uh, maybe someday. But uh I don't even know that I'll even be where I'm at very long. I mean if if and I love my priest, but I don't, I'm not a fan of the diocese. And our bishop, you know, reneged on not ordaining women. Now we've got several women deacons and I think a priest in our diocese, which is just, I, it's, but anyway, getting back to my point, I don't like anything that's non-regional. And that's what bothered me when I was at the Baptist church I was at. It's like we had the, uh, uh, our local association and the state, you know, state of North Carolina is divided into local associations, usually by county. Uh, but the county I live in, they they had a different name for it because <laughs> I guess it encompassed uh, a neighboring county. They couldn't just call it by our county. But um, despite the fact that it was these local associations, they were like not, they didn't do anything. They were ineffective. They didn't. They just got together every now and then for like a like a social call, like it, it was meaningless. And same thing with the North Carolina State Convention. It was like they didn't really do anything. They're just dumb, you know. It, everything had to happen at the at the highest level. And this gets back to what you're talking about before. Like people care too much about what's going on on a much broader, larger scale that they forget about the local. And that's the same thing. Like our church. Is, opposite like and we have some bad stuff going on in our diocese and we and we quite literally pray for our bishops and we pray for other churches that are like-minded that they would stay strong like we are don't you know don't capitulate you know, push outward don't collapse inward like we're very much i wouldn't say insular but we're definitely about ourselves more than we are about 
you know, we're not we're not gonna go with the trends of the churches around us. Whereas on the, on the with the Baptists, it was like we don't really care like care about the the local. We don't care about the state. All we care about is the national convention. You know, we got to make sure we get some people out there to represent, or you know, they or they're on social media is just stuck in the drama, or or listen to this. They're so insular that they don't even care about other churches. Uh, I know the biggest problem in my area when it comes to Baptists is this whole concept. The only Baptist churches that get planted in my county are Baptist churches that are split from other Baptist churches. They don't send out people to go plant churches. What instead happens is I don't like this personality behind the pulpit. He is mean. He steps on people's toes or... Uh, we don't like the color of the carpet or we don't like the hymnal that we're using or I can't believe this is a KJV only church. We're going to go plant our own church. And that's what they do. They go plant their own church. Like that's how local missions is with Baptists in my area, which is utterly pathetic. You know what I mean? And that seems to be the state of things on a mass scale. Uh, actually, you know, most churches seem to be that way. And I wish that I really, really wish that wasn't the case. Well, I mean, I guess getting back to getting back to the the homecoming aspect of it all, it's like it kind of gives us a glimpse about of what we're missing. Like people come like um, an old pastor of mine, actually. Uh, he lives in another county, a couple of counties over. He comes he comes this way every now and every homecoming and preaches at church he was here at for the longest time. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I haven't had a chance to talk to him in a couple of years, but I think it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Like there's still rapport. There's still a connection. There's still people at that church who know him, who welcome him back with open arms. And like, there's that, that, that community that, um, you know, he's an expat, you know, he's a pastor in another County, essentially, uh, a lifelong mission. In other words, he's, he's left his home community. He's at another church, two counties over, which, you know, for me, I might as well be uh, another state, you know, honestly, I know I, I kind of contradict myself saying, you know, being back in North Carolina is being back in North Carolina, but like, but when you're in North Carolina, being in another County is like being in another state. almost. You know what I mean? <laughs> it can be like that sometimes. <clears throat> Not always, but yeah. But uh, this this concept of homecoming, it's it's um, it's kind of endearing, you know. It's it's there's a, there's a sense of home. Obviously, it's in the name, literally. Uh, <laughs> you know, you got old friends coming together, people who have lots of shared memories, you know, struggles that they've gone through. Uh, I mean, that's all. That's all. That's that's what community is. That's what homecoming is supposed to be all, all about. In my mind, at least, uh, you know. So, I kind of wish that I wish that Southerners on a, on a larger scale had a concept of homecoming in their mind that wasn't just in connection to the local church, but in connection to their to their culture. I mean, we have. I don't know. Do y'all, I don't. Does every high school do homecoming? Is that like a thing throughout the entire nation? Uh, I know. Just we all, our, thing too? Ours um, do. All of ours do. Yeah, ours do. And, and so do colleges, uh, at least in the SEC. 
So, I mean, there's homecoming even on a, on a, 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 our local schools or alma mater, as you could say. But, uh, I, like I said, I don't, I don't recall ever hearing about it outside of the region. I could be ignorant on that part. I don't know. But still, yeah, it's like <laughs> if you're having homecoming, you're affirming the reality and the importance of people in place. Or the dreaded, the dreaded phrase "blood and soil." Oh my goodness! As a, as if Hitler was the one that freaking coined the concept. You can break people. Like he may have coined those terms specifically, but the concept is as old as, as dirt. You know, like Wendell Berry talks about it, and he's as he is as far from being a Nazi as you could possibly get. He that he talks about that. Like, come on. Um, but yeah, the, the importance of people in place, that's getting back to like, <laughs> you've heard the phrase, getting back to your roots, right? Like the whole, this whole idea that we can just be listless, rootless cosmopolitans who just go from place to place wandering and thinking that like the next new thing is going to lead to happiness. I think that's led, actually, that's actually been to our detriment on every level. Theologically, uh, socially, culturally, mentally, even like what do what do druggies what what do people do when they look at porn? Right, they look at the softest stuff first, and then it leads into like like the worst, like disgusting, vile stuff, and then they actually end up doing some of the stuff and getting in trouble. Same thing with drugs. Like people don't like to talk about the slippery slope; they think it's a fallacy, but it's it's like it's it's not it really pervades a fallacy. All, it, it pervades all of life. Look what happens when you're not rooted and grounded. You're, you're gonna you're gonna chase after the next good thing, forgetting what, about the. We've done this theologically. That's what theological liberalism was all about. For goodness sake. But, but what did what did Christ say? You know, in the scriptures, he likened people to ships without rudders or without sails. Yeah. yeah. Being tossed to and fro, right? Yeah. A house built on sand. Yeah, that's another one. Yeah. So, obviously, being rooted and grounded with a foundation, that is a. Uh, I think it's a it's a it's a it's a principle of life, honestly. And this is not like mm -hmm. a kinist. It's not an argument for kinism. Not an argument for white supremacy. I know that's the first thing people latch on to. But it's like it, it gets back to those other concepts of quote unquote conservatism, like uh or Chesterson's fence. If you don't know why something is there, then you don't remove it unless you know why it's there and you know something better can be put in its place. Uh and and um what was the other concept of uh Oh, uh, hmm. Can't think right now. Similar well, while you're brain farting that. on that, um, this this came up in our. Uh, currently, the the guys in my church are going through masculine Christianity. Um, and so this kind of came up in in uh, I think it's chapter three, where there's a criticism of Piper. Specifically, Piper. Um, and I, I think he was. I think he, if I understand Garris correctly, and uh, 
you know, Travis, if you remember differently from my interview, you could tell me. But from what I uh, what I remember and understand uh, of his point, it was that the language that Piper used left himself open to the Tim Kellers and you know uh, uh, what's his name from Saddleback, the Rick Warrens, because Rick Warren and um, Tim Keller both called themselves um, complementarians. And this is a term that Piper essentially invented. Um, there's, there's no real precedent for that word in church history or whatever else. And so the 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 conversation was if if the church has used a particular kind of language for a thing you really need a reason to change it yeah. and the the big fault that i have for piper in this is is not even, not that he was trying to be biblical which um Whatever criticism I might get for this, I think he was actually doing his, his – I think he was trying to do a level effort to be biblical. But it, he didn't have a reason to change it. There was no reason to change you know, from being a, a, a patriarch to being a, a complementarian, whatever that means. And, you know, there, there's a lot that, <clears throat> you know, Piper said in regards to uh, the relationship between men and women. That was really good. Um, even <laughs> Garris acknowledges that, but he leaves himself open for error because he's doing something new when there really is no reason to do something new. This... Um, this trail's been blazed before. It doesn't need to be reblazed. Yeah, you know. Well, so, will, right? Um, you know, kind of to your point, Neil. You know, we're we're talking about you know traditions of our, our of our people. We're talking about um how our uh how we've gone about things. You know, unless Unless you have a reason to change it, then why change it? Right. You know, unless uh, unless something's overtly sinful, let's say. Yeah. Wh why are you changing it? It makes no yeah. sense. Think about all the think about all the changes in in our language in terms of worship, right? What do we what do we call what do we call the room we go to where there's pews or well, pews anymore? That's another thing that's been changed. Chairs. You know, and where the where the preacher preaches. What's that room called now in most churches? Uh, we call it the sanctuary. Yeah. Well, most churches call it the worship center now. Oh. <laughs> yeah. What do you call what, what what's the altar called now? It's called a stage. Right. What are the right. what are the sacraments called? They're called well, I'll, I'll give them this. You you can call them uh um what's the word? <laughs> I don't know. Baptists ordinances. call them ordinances, but that—that's fine. That's fine. No, but that's fine. They're sacraments, man. They're sacraments. They're, but, they're, they're, but there's history <laughs> behind these. But there's history behind the word ordinance. But the thing is, that's not. 
the historical meaning of that word versus the way it's used in, in contemporary churches today, they don't mean, they don't even mean the same thing. Um, oh gosh, even 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 um, the music portion. Or what about what about the church service in in itself in totality? Like they they that used to be called worship, the entire service. Now right. they've reduced the music portion to just that's that's the worship portion. The rest of it's just you're just sitting there, you know, and having to endure this pastor waiting on lunchtime to happen. You know, that's, that's how a lot of these people look at it. Uh, well, and that's uh, that's kind of where uh, uh, if if I could throw throw this um, throw this shade a little bit. Uh, I see that coming from a lot of the charismatic movement. Oh yeah, you know where it's oh, yeah. it's worships the worship is the music, and that's where you get all your worship in, and then and then the 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 talking is just something different, you know. That's that's something yeah. else. I mean, music itself is like a sacrament of sorts. I mean, there's a lot of informal sacraments, like the altar call. I mean, that's basically a sacrament. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, the sinner's the sinner's prayer is another sacrament. So it's it's just like this. Uh, a lot of language has been abused. A lot of language has been abandoned. Uh, but I think there's hope. I, you know, there's churches out there that are. This is what this is why the retrieval movement is such a good thing. And this is why I'm happy about Stephen Wolf and his efforts and the guys at American Reformer who are largely Baptist. You know, they're <clears throat> they're making the I don't even want to say attempt because they're actually doing more than attempting. They're actually doing it. There's this this push to retrieve uh, old truths that have been abandoned or covered up or or, or supplanted uh, or bypassed or what have you. And and, you know, I don't. My misgivings for the term Christian nationalism aside, I agree with like 99% of Stephen Wolf in that book and his book on Christian nationalism. Uh, I'm very much more sectional than he is. I, I, I guess you could say Jeffersonian. I would much rather have the Articles of Confederation than Paper Tiger they call the Constitution. Right. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> I very I think much both be in your your same camp on that one. Yeah, I very much prize retrieval, and this goes along with what uh, uh, Father Evan, or Caleb Evans posted on his his Facebook today uh, about like you know people chiding him about not being contemporary enough. He's like, you know, I'm just going to do what we've been doing for the past two thousand years. You know, it's not right. why why do we need to why do we need to abandon what we've been doing this whole time. Cause I mean, it's, it's quite literally conformity to the world. And, and quite honestly, I have, despite what the, uh, the regulative people think, you know, I, they like to, they, they pride themselves in being iconoclast, but it's like, you guys don't even look like, like the iconoclast from back then would even kill you because your, your iconoclasm involves complete sterility. Like you're, you're abandoning all visual, and all uh, freedom uh, of normativity in worship for rigid ideology, in my in my opinion, it's a very it's a very narrow reading of scripture to hold to a strict regulative principle. And to be quite honest, that's another term that's been butchered to death. Regulative principle did not used to mean that. Most Anglicans today would say they hold to the regulative principle, 
that's what the whole book of common prayer is about and that's why we have smells and bells that's why our, our priests wear vestments that's why we have all the things that we have because we're emulating worship through all 66 books and not just the new testament you know a lot of these guys are like you know they'd be content with a padded cell uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes, I do know what you mean. Um, maybe some of them need to be put in one. But uh, yeah, the, the retrieval process is beautiful because it's we're we're hearkening back to we're getting back to our roots. <laughs> you know, there's a sort of there's a sort of uh, intellectual homecoming at play, and I hope that churches keep doing homecoming because it gets them. It gets them to go back that way to say, look how much we've changed. And maybe they can reassess. You know, I laugh about the the men at that church uh, that I was talking. I, we started talking about before we were recording, but my cousin is a, pa- a Baptist pastor at a church uh, in a neighboring county. Just for the audience, I have to rehash this. Uh, and all the men showed up in coveralls. And there was like four different preachers that uh, Sunday. And... Um, like I laugh, but it's, you know, it is kind of funny, but at the same time, it's, you know, these guys are hearkening back to the way the men used to dress because that's all they had in their wardrobe because they were all largely farmers, especially at where this church is at. It's a very right. agricultural area. Uh, so that's all the men had. You know, they didn't have you know, fancy dress clothes. They didn't have tweed. <laughs> um seersucker suits or whatever the hell people think is so fashionable these days but uh you know these guys they look back and i hope i hope the younger people that were there look back and think to themselves man this is the way it used to be maybe we should get back to that you know what i mean i'm seeing a lot of that um just in general you know i'm i'm seeing a lot of, of people asking the question of well why did we change this <laughs> Yeah. You know, because yeah. there's a lot of things that have been changed. And, you know, you ask when you ask the question of, you know, why don't we do this anymore? The answer is usually yeah. I don't know. Well, a lot of it has to do with boomers who are stuck in this. Bro, <laughs> I don't understand it. I don't understand boomers. Like They're like the hardest code to crack because they're the ones who came up with all this contemporary crap that nobody actually really likes it's all kitsch it's very stupid kitsch to use a yiddish word <laughs> it's very uh it's very uh i don't know another word for it, tacky like uh the uh the thing at my church right now is we're trying to get rid of the overhead projector which i am i am for the most part i am for getting rid of it except except unless it is used in a static sense like so we don't have to put one of those fancy ornate things on the wall that shows the hymn numbers and page numbers of everything why not just have one still image with a nice font nothing stupid not a bunch of clip art or word art from microsoft but like (laughs) have those numbers up on the screen that people know you know what what hymns to turn to you know and use their actual hymnal because i'm right the Book of Common Prayer exists for a reason. You know, if it can be condensed to a projector, then what the heck do you say even have? Just, you know, it kind of, it's again, it's a, we're, we're removing a fence that is necessary, I think. Um, 
when it's not necessary when it's not necessary to get rid of it then it's necessary to not get rid of it that was the other concept um and it's not necessary to to get rid of using the book of common prayer the, the hymnals it's it's like why are we doing this shorter route like why are we why are we making all these these progressive changes because it's easier like that's dumb like well i i, I do want to i, I want to um kind of point this out i i know um I think that a lot of the regative principle guys, um, it, it's this this going to rub some people the wrong way. So we'll go ahead and prepare for the backlash. But I don't even I, read it. I, I I think that a lot of these regative principle guys are just they're they're so anti-Catholic. Oh, it's every reaction. Things that sound Catholic to them, they don't even have to be Catholic. Like. Roman Catholic, right? They'll, well, that's a, they'll that's throw a, those in the trash can. That's another word, though, right? That they that they abandoned. Catholics a boogie band. That's a bad word. Yeah, yeah, and it, like that word's been used longer than Roman Catholicism. It, <laughs> yeah, and and so you'll have uh, you know pastors will be like, now we're going to use one holy apostolic in universal church. church or universal yeah yeah <laughs> just say the word catholic man people have been saying it yeah. for two thousand years yeah. like uh or but the they apostles won't say creed yeah the apostles creed where jesus descended into hell it's changed he yeah. descended to the dead it's like wow it, there was there was it, a there it's was okay a distinct, to say what they said you know <laughs> there's a distinct theological reason why they chose the word hell and not the dead I right. mean, but again, it's this demythologizing of the Christian faith. It's this uh, this move towards novel beliefs. You know, it's I don't get it, man. And it's very pervasive. Uh, and well, I, not, to I think Debbie, that, not to be a Debbie Downer. <laughs> no, I well, and, and this this is kind of what. You know, we're talking about, you know, this is supposed to be a positive. I, I think this is a positive because we're talking about rebuilding, you know. Yeah. And so I, I'm not – it may sound like I am, but I'm, I'm really not throwing shade at these guys. I, 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 I understand why they're doing what they're doing. I think it's wrong, and I think we need to stop doing it. And I, I think we need to stop entertaining it, you know. And when people yeah. come at you about, oh, regular principle of worship, it's like, okay, well, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it's kind of like, I, I'm not, I, it's kind of like the, the, um, the people who don't believe in instruments. Oh. Right. My dude, yeah. how many instruments are called out as used in worship in the Old Testament? Yeah, that's um, the thing. They're man. They're uh, they're uh, they're uh, not mannequins. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The people who separate the old and New Testament, like they're completely different things. <laughs> right, but you you know, again, I'm going to call them out on that, right? Yeah, because <laughs> that's not how that works. Um, right. and so 
you know, a, a lot of the push in my church is I've, I've been talking to my pastor and the elders uh, has been along this line. Like, uh, you know, I, 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 why, why, why are we doing, uh, why are we taking the Lord's table once a month? Right. It, it needs yeah. to be more than once a month. It should be when we gather together. Yeah. And you know what why why aren't we and this is not a like I'm I'm not going and creating a ruckus or you know, I I pull my pastor aside, you know, it's a respectful exchange, but at the same time it's a it's it is pressuring. You know, we we need to be doing this. Oh why do we need to be doing that? Well this is what people in the church have been doing since forever. The the, the question is not why why should we do this? The question is, why are we doing something different? Do we have a good reason to change what they were doing? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I recognize the first thing that a lot of people are going to go to, oh, you're a Baptist or whatever. You know, I can explain why I'm a Baptist. And I think I have a good reason for it. You may not agree with it, but I can explain that. I, I, I depart from others in the Christian tradition on this topic. For a very specific reason, and I can get into that, and I can have that conversation. More than willing to have that conversation with people, but you know, a lot of times when you when you talk about these topics, you you don't get a good reason. You get, well, I don't really know. I never thought about it, and that that's disheartening uh, on one side, but on the other side. The fact that somebody's bringing it up means that it can be rectified now. It can things can change. It doesn't have to stay the way it was. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that's kind of been my goal. I know there's a little bit of side ramp there, and I apologize, but mm -hmm. um, you know that that's I, I think that we need to be, you know, I don't want to be too cliche about it, but we need to be people that change, and we need to we need to go back and. Uh, not just recover what was what was been what has been done in the past, but we need to we need to bring that stuff into the future. You know, part of part of a tradition is being a link between the past and the future, and and carrying forward those things which are good, and explaining why you deviate from from the things that are bad. You know. Hey y'all, thanks for listening in on our podcast. If you like what you hear, please share and comment wherever you're listening to it. And check out our Gab page at Dixie Polis Podcast. If you want to contact us, please send an email to DixiePolis at ProtonMail.com or send us a message on Gab. If you like the music we're playing, hang out a little while and let the song finish. It's Wayfaring Stranger by Southern Raised, and you can listen to them on YouTube or go to their website at SouthernRaisedBluegrass.com. God bless y'all.
Just to 